The great pyramids, the hanging garden of Babylon, Colossus of Rhodes, these are all ancient wonders of the world that we've been talking about. And that first list of ancient wonders was compiled 200 years before Christ. But only one of these seven wonders of the ancient world is still standing today, and that's the Great Pyramid of Giza. So in the year 2000, how many of y'all remember back in the year 2000? That was 22 years ago. Isn't that insane? Y'all remember Y2K? Man, that was weird. But way back in 2000, a Swiss foundation set up a new seven wonders of the world. They got 100 million votes, and this is the list that was formed, the new seven wonders of the world. First, you've got the Great Wall of China, one of the largest building construction projects ever. It stretches 5,500 miles long. Next, you have Chichen Itza, and this is a Mayan city in Mexico. It's not only a pyramid, Go ahead, do the next one. There it is. Uh, It's not only a pyramid, but an astronomical wonder. And it features 365 stairs to align with the solar year, along with other features of astronomy. Next, you have Petra. This one's my favorite. This is an ancient city in Jordan, carved completely into solid stone. At one point, this city held 30,000 people. Next, you have Machu Picchu which is high in the Andes Mountains in Peru. The Incans built this city. This next one you probably know, Christ the Redeemer. After World War I, some Brazilian people feared a tide of godlessness had swept over the world. So they proposed this statue. And it stands 100 feet tall, on, high on top of a mountain overlooking Rio de Janeiro. Next we have the Colosseum. This is where Russell Crowe faced his greatest test. (laughs) But this architectural wonder could hold 50,000 people. And it featured gladiator fights, animal hunts, and even at times they would fill the bottom of the stadium with water and act out mock uh, ship battles, these naval battles in the bottom. It's estimated over 500,000 people were killed in the Colosseum some of which were Christians persecuted for their faith. And then lastly, the new seven wonders of the world is the Taj Mahal. This sprawling mausoleum was built in the 1600s by the emperor to honor his late wife who died during her 14th childbirth. That's a wonder right there, right? Uh, It took 22 years and 20,000 workers to build this. So these are the new seven wonders of the world. 2,000 years after that original ancient list of wonders was made, only one remains. And how many of these, this new list, will last for the next 1,000 years? What we've been doing in this series is looking at ways to live that will last. Seven foundational truths from God's word that would help us build a wonderful life. All for God's glory. Outlined by Andy Stanley has helped us with each of these wonders. These seven things are vitally important for you to know and to believe and to teach them to your children and to remind your family and friends. These aren't new things, but I dare say the most important things for you to know, you already know. The first wonder of God's word was God can be trusted. The second one was God wants to guide me. The third one was putting others First is better for me. 
And lastly, God created sex and has a design and a plan for it. This brings us to number five. This wonder from God's word is our friends determine the quality and direction of our lives. Friendships are important. Your friends have significant impact on your life. Who you spend time with shapes who you are. I had a friend when I was about 10 years old that was really into fire. And yeah, yeah. So what do you think we did together? We played with fire. It's a really hard thing for you to hide from your parents, too, because uh, you smell like a chimney, right? I, didn't, I wasn't playing with fire, I swear. There's an old southern proverb that says, if you sleep with dogs, you're going to get fleas. Our friends determine our destiny. Someone said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Friendships matter. That's especially true, and you probably remember this, and those of you in the room that are uh, teenagers, you know this, that it's especially true for teenagers that who our friends are determine what we do. In the 1960s, a Gallup poll showed that the top three influences in a child's life were parents, teachers, and spiritual leaders. But in the early 2000s, an updated poll said the list was now friends, Media, and then parents. Spiritual leaders didn't even make the cut. And now it's even more confusing because media and friends are both so intertwined because now the friends are making the media. Friends matter. We probably all remember some really dumb stuff that we did as teenagers. Stuff that we would have never done alone. Like knocking over mailboxes. Letting the air out of people's tires. Toilet papering houses. Of course, I was never involved in any of that stuff. I grew up in church, and most of my friends did too, so a lot of the dumb stuff I did involved church. I remember uh, one particular Christmas Eve, we took a church bus from the church parking lot, and we drove it up an icy mountain and parked it in the associate pastor's yard so that he had a nice little present on Christmas morning. A lot of stuff could have went really wrong with that. I was 16 years old driving a bus, for one. Uh, and, and also, it was an icy road. A lot could have went wrong with that stupid prank. And praise the Lord, it didn't. And that was dumb. But I've been blessed, for the most part, by having friends that never pushed me towards something that would hurt me in the long run. But even as an adult, your friends matter. Your friends can push you to look more like Christ and to be who God made you to be. Or your friends can push you to look towards yourself or look towards money or look towards relationships to fill you. Proverbs has great wisdom in it. And it says a lot about friendships like this in Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You become like who you walk with. You ever notice that when you're around people for a while, you kind of start to pick up on the words that they say and you start to use them? If you hang out with a British person for a while, all of a sudden you're calling everything brilliant. Too often we decide 
Uh, <laughs> whose laugh was that? Was that you, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> that laugh was funnier than my joke. <laughs> uh, there was such pity all wrapped up into it. Uh, too often we decide to become close friends with people just because of proximity or because of things in common. Instead of on purpose and being intentional and saying, I want to befriend people that are farther along in their spiritual walk, and I want some of their wisdom in my life. Walk with the wise, become wise. Walk with fools, and you will get hurt. Now, it's important to distinguish here people that you're friendly to and those that you allow to influence and shape you. You should be kind and loving and friendly to everyone, but you shouldn't let just anyone speak into your heart. A wise, and, uh, a, a wise friend will lovingly tell you when you're doing something that will harm you. A foolish friend will let you catch your arm on fire for a good story. A wise friend will tell you when there's things that you need to change in your life, even when that hurts. 1 Corinthians 15, echoes this truth when it says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. As a youth pastor, I remember back in LaGrange, Georgia, uh, there are several times where a group of young friends got together. They're trying to have a good time, drinking, speeding, ended up losing their lives. Just one wise friend in that bunch could have saved them. But tragically, they saw this truth play out that our friends help determine our future. See, a real friend doesn't just accept who you are. They lovingly nudge you to who God made you to be. And I'm thankful for friends in my life that will tell me, hey, you probably shouldn't say that. Or, hey, you, maybe you shouldn't post that. Or, are you okay? You seem really on edge lately. Those type of friends are worth more than gold. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's true. And it's deep. And it has meaning. So we need to be that type of authentic friend. Now, you need to make sure that you have a basis of a relationship before you go and just offer advice and offer criticism. But I'm thankful for friends in my life that will do that. There have been times in my life where I've had to distance myself from people because I realized who I was around that person. I didn't want to be that person. They might have influenced me towards sin, even if they were uh, not conscious of it. Maybe I realized this person, uh, you know, we, I always gossiped when I was around this person. And when, whenever we're together, we just would tear everybody down. Or I realized that that person tried to talk me into revenge rather than forgiveness. Or, or maybe being judgmental or tried to distract me from what I really should have been doing and my priorities really should be. And that hurts sometimes. It hurts to make that decision to distance yourself from somebody you care about because they are shaping you in a way that is not Christ-like. But this is important. Friends are important, and friends shape you. So you may need to put some space and pray for them and hope they see their errors and repent. Proverbs 14, 7 says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. 
Now, you don't tell someone, hey, you're a bad person. I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. But you make sure you don't give influence to people that aren't pushing you to who God made you to be. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpeneth iron, and one man sharpens another. Your friends shape you. Now, maybe you're here today, and what you've been thinking about this whole entire time that we've been talking about friends is, all this is great, Pastor Phil, but I don't have any friends. In 1990, they did a poll of how many friends people had, and 27% of people said they had less than three friends. But jump to today. That number has skyrocketed to 49% of adults say they have less than three friends. What has happened in the last 30 years? We've become more and more isolated from society and more and more divisive, and it's hurting us. One thing that drives us deeper into isolation is we see all these pictures on social media of people enjoying themselves, and we feel left out. You may not realize this at first, but that's toxic thinking. Right? That's self-centered thinking. Surely you don't think that everyone else should stay home if you're not invited. Get off the internet and go talk to your neighbor that's sitting in her house 20 yards away feeling left out too. Another part of the problem is society has a misconception that friendships don't take work. And you might be that type of person that anyone crosses me or wrongs me, then they're getting cut out of my life. You're going to be very alone If you do that, why? Because we each are sinners and we will each make mistakes, but God forgave us. So we should forgive others. And then on the other side of that forgiveness, we'll find a deeper relationship waiting on the other side. Friendship takes work, but in this self obsessed culture we live in. We want people to be there for us in hard times when we have no intention of caring about anyone else. It's almost never failed in my 14 years of pastoral ministry that when someone says no one ever cares enough to check on me, that I ask, and they admit that they never call and check up on anyone else either. We are a society of takers, but the Bible tells us to be givers. That's the golden rule, right, from God's word to treat others how you want to be treated. That's what it says in Luke 6, 31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. To have friends, you must first be friendly. And if you sit in the corner with your arms crossed and a sour look on your face, do not be surprised when no one comes to talk to you. You're getting back what you're putting out. So get up off your pew And go talk to someone or walk outside your house and strike up a conversation. And as you're friendly and care about other people, people will be friendly and begin to care about you. This doesn't happen naturally. We're no longer children on the playground where, hey, you're next to me on the swings. Let's be friends for the rest of our lives. No, friendship takes work. You want invited to go places? Invite someone to go there with you. You want to start a Bible study? Ask them. You need someone to pray with you over what you're dealing with? Ask somebody if you can pray with them. And here's a quick reminder. People don't know that you need help if you don't tell them. Just assume, 
as a rule, that people can't read your mind. And I don't mean here striking up that type of fake friendliness. If you do that, that's all that you're going to get back is fake friendliness. No, be vulnerable. Be normal. Be authentic. You don't always have to have a smile on your face. Be genuine. Actually care about other people. And don't just look for people to dump all your problems on. Ask somebody how they're doing. If you want to be friends with someone, don't lead with all the things that you wish were different about them. Don't just try to get things from them. That's not friendship. No one wants to be around someone. No, instead, love your neighbor as yourself. Look inside yourself and say, what do I need from a friend? And be that thing. Look for people who feel out of place. And then when you hit bumps in that friendship road, which you always will, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. I keep talking about this over the past two years. In 2020, we all said we were going to do things different. We were going to be more community-minded. We weren't going to be so isolated. And I can't believe the government's making me not have friends. It wasn't them. It's you. It's the practices that you have created. You've said, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, and I'm not going to put in any work. And then when you're in struggles and you're in hard times, you look around and say, no one's there for me. you got to put in the work. you got to care about other people. Because you were not made to walk alone. We were made for community. And community takes work. It's hard. It takes putting yourself out there. It takes being willing to be hurt sometime in order to get to genuine friendship. But it is worth it. We're better together. And life together makes life more enjoyable. Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one because it makes things easier. You can't pick up a couch on your own and move it. And when you're 92, you don't want to sit alone on your porch. So put in the work of friendship now and care about people now. Forgive when you're hurt. Stop cutting people out of your life so that when things get hard, you will have someone there that will help carry things. Friendship is a wonder of God's word that will stand the test of time. God came up with this thing called community. It actually reflects how he lives as the Trinity through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we are made for that community. He said back in the beginning, it's not good for us to be alone. But maybe you are in that place right now where you need to distance yourself from friends that aren't pushing you toward who God made you to be. Or maybe you don't feel like you have friends and you need to change your approach. Any good fisherman knows that when you aren't catching anything, you change your bait. And maybe everyone else in the world isn't just a jerk. But instead, maybe what you're putting out there isn't the kind of friend that someone wants. So instead, treat people how you want to be treated. Be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be put out there. Stop putting up all these walls and attacking people because you think they're going to attack you. And instead, really care about other people and see how God sends you genuine friends.
They may not be the coolest person in the room. They may not be exactly like you. But there are other people out there that are desperate for a good friend just like you. So be a good friend. You were made for friends. To have friends, though you have to be friendly. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people like you want to be treated. Why? Because our friends determine the quality and direction of our lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We take time to look in ourselves and ask God what he wants us to do with this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And maybe you're in that in-between right now, where you know you need to distance yourself from some unwise friends. Or maybe you're that person that, you, that has been portraying themselves as a person that hasn't attracted any friends. You haven't been doing maybe the hard work of friendship. You haven't been asking people how they're doing, inviting people to go places, and and trying to live in community. And hey, maybe it won't work with one person. Go find somebody else. Or maybe you're that person that gives up too quickly on people. And right now, you're scared in this in-between. And you say, okay, I want to do better, but right now I'm alone. Well, the Bible tells us that when all else fails, we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And even when you feel all alone, we have a friend in Jesus that has laid down his life to be in relationship with us. No matter how alone you feel today, you are not alone. You have the greatest friend in the world who is always with you. His name is Jesus. We take a moment right now. To meditate on what God spoke to our hearts about. This aspect of being a Christian and living in community and caring about others is a countercultural thing. To be givers rather than takers, to help fill and encourage people rather than drain and discourage people. This is supposed to be a defining characteristic of being a Christian, of putting others first. But we've lost this. And we always look around and we think about how everybody else has done us wrong. We create these narratives about how everybody else is the problem and it's not me. And we cut people out. And we, we say, woe is me. Nobody ever cares about me when we don't care about anyone else either. And the way you flip that script is you step out and you be brave and you have courage to put yourself out there and to care about people. And to love people even when you don't get love back. Why? Because Jesus did that for us. As we continue in this time of prayer and 
I'm going to talk to a very specific set of people, and the rest of you take this time to pray and to deal with it, whatever God's dealing on your heart. Maybe you need to go and forgive someone right after the service. You need to go and say, hey, I have not been a good friend to you. Uh, I'm sorry. But I'm going to talk to those in the room today that might not know Jesus as their Savior yet. They might not have accepted that gift. We talked about it, where Jesus laid down his life in our place. See, we're all born with a problem. That problem's called sin, and we cheat, and we lie, and we have wicked thoughts, and we're bitter towards people. And all that sin in our lives is a wedge between us and God. See, all the way back at the beginning, God gave us a free will, and over and over again, we have chosen our way over his way. And we brought wickedness and sin and pain and death into the world. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, stepped out of heaven, was born of a virgin, and lived a perfect and holy life for 33 years. And then he laid down his life on the cross in our place. The only innocent person to have ever lived, God in the flesh, died for our sin. You might be here today and you're worried about, well, what is going to happen to me because I'm not good enough to get to God or I'm scared of what's going to happen in the next life and, and you have this fear inside of you and you can know today that Jesus did it all. You don't have to work to get to God. God came to us. That's called the gospel. Jesus in my place. The punishment that I deserve for my sin is already paid, and all you have to do is accept this free gift. How you do that is you put all your faith and trust in what Jesus did. as the only means for you to get to God. No church membership or giving or any of those type of things. You could call out to God right now. The words aren't important, but what matters is it's a genuine decision in your heart. You can call out to him right now with something like, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. Turning from all of that And everything that I've held on to. And I put my full faith and trust in what you did on the cross. Save me. If that's you today and you made that decision once and for all, that's amazing. That's the biggest thing you could ever do in your life. I'd love to know about that. And be able to talk to you this week about that. If you would write, I chose Jesus on your connection card. And hand that in at the end of the service. I'd love to be able to walk you through what you did and what's next. Because that's the most amazing thing in the world. To be at peace between you and your God. Not just because you recited a prayer, God. uh, But because you gave your life over to Christ. Dear Jesus, we love you. I pray as we continue to worship you here in these next moments, I pray you help us to look for people that need friends and help us to be the type of friend that we long for in our heart. 
God, I thank you that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer to the brother than a brother. And, and no matter who's here today, God, that you want to be so close to them. 